Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. All right, with the great resignation, no doubt you have heard this phrase and everybody leaving, most of the leaders that I'm talking to have renewed their focus on finding, hiring, and keeping great talent. In fact, I have to admit in some quite astounding ways, I only wish they were doing that about three years ago. So the question for today is, are you doing the right things to be sure that you have found the best talent and that you can keep them? And we're going to talk about what you need to know to create a talent magnet, meaning talent wants to come to you. So my guest today is Carol Schultz. Carol is founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, which is a talent equity and leadership advisory expertise shop. She's recognized for her proficiency in corporate leadership, and she spent three decades helping executives gain clarity in their careers, make bold leadership moves, and create cultures of performance. So Schultz and her team have helped hundreds of companies from seed stage pre-initial public offerings all the way through through publicly traded companies transform their organizations and create sustainable talent-centric cultures that run at maximum efficiency. Sounds good to me. Sign me up. She's the host of the popular podcast, Authentically Successful, and she's the author of a brand new book called Powered by People, How Talent-Centric Organizations Master Recruitment, Retention, and Revenue, and by the way, and how to build one. Um, You can learn more about Carol, by the way, at verticalelevation.com. Carol, welcome to the show. Glad to be here, Wanda. It's a pleasure. I think everybody is concerned about having talent. I think everybody thinks they're doing the right things. (laughs) And I think you and I are going to say, not so. But let's start at the top of the show. Why did you write this book in particular? Well, this is something that this this process of building a talent-centric organization is something that I started building in 2008. And when I decided to focus on this and pivot my search and coaching practice into just built-centric organizations, um, I decided it needed to be written. I mean, I've had people say to me for 20 years, you know, oh, I'm reading this book. You should have written this book. You, you know more about it than this person does. So I decided that this was too important and I finally just needed to make the time to write this book. And it, you know, it just happened to coincide with COVID. It, it yeah. wasn't really, it wasn't a strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the power behind the book of being a talent-centric organization, and I think has never been so more powerful than it is right now. Right. Okay. Let me start at the very beginning of this one, which is to say, I think everybody wants to try to understand in your experience, why are people leaving? What is it that's driving it? And I recognize it's not a single reason. Right. And it and it's not. And it, it, there's a lot that depends and it depends often on the generation of the of the employee you're talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. So right. somebody somebody who is a millennial or a Gen Z, they've been raised differently. They've I, I feel especially with Gen Z, they've often been coddled by their parents. They've been protected by their parents and they often feel entitled 
that may not be the most popular thing to say, but it's been my experience uh, and the experience of many others I've talked to. So they're operating from a very different place of, you know, well, I deserve this from a company. Whereas somebody in my generation or your generation may be looking at it as, you know what, I I just need to go to work and work hard and so on and so forth. So there are many different reasons why people are leaving, but it often, it, it typically boils down to managers. People don't leave companies, they leave managers. I mean, it's, it's, it really can be simplified like that. Now, okay. is money a part of it? Sure. Um, is culture a part of it? Oh, my goodness, yes. But, you know, culture is partly who your manager is. So, I mean, that's really why people are leaving. Well, they're they're oh. disappointed. They're disgusted. And COVID, more than anything, brought this to the forefront. This, has been, this is not new. This has been going on for years and years. I think what one of the things I believe is, is really truly about millennials and Gen Zs, as opposed to Gen X and baby boomers, right? Especially Gen X. Mm-hmm. Gen X comes to their careers at a time when there weren't a whole lot of options. Like you had a job, you had to hold onto the job, right. stuck with the job, regardless. And mm-hmm. it's just it came at that late stage in their life cycle where I think many of them felt trapped. And they put up with a lot of stuff. Yep. And I think baby boomers put up with a lot of stuff as well, because that's sort of what we'd always mm-hmm. been taught to do. You know, you do what you're told and off we go. But millennials and Gen Z seem willing to put up with mm-hmm. what other generations have put up with. And I got to say, we can call that entitled if you want. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure they're wrong. Like we, sh- some of the stuff yeah. that has been going on for decades mm-hmm. should be fixed, mm-hmm. stopped, changed, right. altered. Well, that's what this whole process is about. I'm not suggesting that they are, you know, wrong for feeling the way they do. Um, I, you know, they just have grown up in a different environment than, than the, the boomers and the Gen Xers. Yeah. So they expect something different. And right. like I said, this is, if, if nothing else, this has brought it to the forefront and people are actually talking about it. You know, my yeah. concern is now that we're starting to see some, adjustments in the economy or companies can say, oh, yeah, we don't need to worry about about that anymore. Yes, you do. (laughs) Yes, you do. All right. So people leave managers. I think there's at least 100 studies out there saying that, in effect, what they do is they leave managers. However, when they walk out the door with an exit interview, that is not what they're going to tell you on the exit interview, in my experience. Is that Mm -hmm. your experience as well? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, nobody wants to talk to HR. Right. About these things. Um, And frankly, if if, you know, my counsel to companies is hire a third party to have those exit interviews. Don't do them internally. Mm -hmm. People will talk to a third party that makes them feel comfortable. You you are not going to get thrown under the bus. This will not come back to bite you in the butt. That's right. We want we want to hear this as a contribution to us to help us be better. Okay. Well said. You said also people leave because of the culture, but in many ways, it's the manager and the Mm -hmm. team right around them or the team Mm -hmm. that's adjacent to them that really derives their experience of the culture, Mm -hmm. not what's written on the walls or in the brochures. Mm -hmm. And so again, we come back to the manager and what the manager tolerates, doesn't tolerate, encourages, Mm -hmm. doesn't encourage, helps resolve and one more thing we put on manager's shoulders, but that is the experience people are having. 
Okay. Um, now I want to talk about money for a minute. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about money one time in this show, and then I don't want to talk about it again. I get okay. so tired of this conversation. Money matters. Okay. Money matters. People will say, I'm leaving this job because I got an offer someplace else that's 25, 30, depending where you are right. in the world, your age, 50%, 60% higher than what I'm getting mm-hmm. paid. But I contend that's not why they started looking in correct. the first place. Mm-hmm. So what's your experience? I would contend that you are correct. <laughs> so that, that's money's just an excuse because you know it's it's not difficult for a company when you go you know when somebody comes in to, to give their um, notice for a company to put a full court press on and say oh what's it going to take to keep you if it's you know you're leaving because of more money well we'll match that well i mean that that's another conversation is the the many reasons why you should never accept a counter offer that's another conversation another conversation however if somebody can be bought back that way well, they're just going to do it again. I mean, you're now a fidelity risk to the organization. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So it's, okay. it's really, I mean, could it be about money? Yeah, of course it can be about money. But it's always, in my experience from all the search work I've done over the years, you know, it's, do I, rarely do I hear when I, you know, when I get around uh, to having that initial get to know each other with a, with a candidate, those, you know, those conversations would go about 45 minutes to an hour. The first one is rarely would I ever hear I'm leaving because of money. When I ask somebody on a scale of one to 10, one being I'm never leaving here to a 10 being I have to be out of here. Like I should have been out of here like a month ago or a week ago. Where are you on that scale? And I get a number. Well, paint me a picture of what it would take, like what it is that you need different. It's you, it's not money. Money's never their first answer. Never. Right. Right. But money's a convenient thing to say for why I'm leaving. It's That's so correct. easy to give the excuse, especially yep. to HR and for exit interviews. It's mm-hmm. because of money or because it's a promotion title. Mm-hmm. Okay. I get tired of this conversation over and over again. Yeah. All right, I'm going to shift on. Well, you know, what do they about say about this? insanity, right? I mean, companies, yeah, right. like how do they not, after all these years, they just still don't get it. Okay. All right, I have to tell my favorite story on this one. This mm-hmm. is an investment bank and investment bankers believe that they're the only people in the world that are truly motivated by money. Yeah. I think they may be partially, but not 100%. Yeah. And I was interviewing the senior team at a big investment bank, yeah. every single one of the senior team all of whom I knew could leave this particular bank and go across the street at that moment in history and at least add 25% to their salary, mm-hmm. if not mm-hmm. a bunch more. It would have been easy to do. Mm-hmm. Easy. And mm-hmm. that's not even thinking hard. And so I said to them, if you're so motivated by money, why are you here? That's right. Like, go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they said, no, no, no. I'm here because I want to build something. That's right. And that is the ultimate. I think people are wanting something. They're wanting to be part of something else or they're wanting to have a different kind Mm -hmm. of experiences and money is just the excuse. All right, Mm -hmm. enough. Let's talk metaphors. Mm -hmm. You start with this lovely metaphor about getting everybody on the bus. And I certainly hear that all the time. The nation of sheep. You've got to get people on the bus, right? And if they're out of the bus, you get rid of them or you get them off. Mm -hmm. Or if they're not with you, they get them off the bus. Mm -hmm. You say that's a really bad metaphor. Why? Well, because is you know we talk a lot. Of, I talk a lot about this in the first chapter of the book. But ultimately, the only person paying attention to where you're going on the bus is the person who's driving it. You know, you're sitting back reading a book. You're listening to some music. You're you know listening to an ebook. I mean, you're doing a multitude of things 
working on a project that don't have anything to do with where the bus is going. Okay. So that's why, I, I mean, it, you know, I, I, Jim Collins has a lot of great stuff to say in his book, but everybody literally jumped on the bandwagon when he coined that get everyone on the bus. And from the first time I read it, I'm like, yeah, that just doesn't sit right with me. So bus implies by the metaphor, and I think metaphor is important because they indicate a lot of things about how we're Mm -hmm. thinking about it, but it implies I'm in a passive position. Mm -hmm. You, the driver, or you, the leader telling the driver where to go or setting the direction, Mm -hmm. I'm along for the ride. Mm -hmm. Now, if I don't like that, I'm not going to get off the bus, but at the same time, it doesn't mean I'm there actively helping Mm -hmm. determine where it is we go or think about what it is I need to be doing. Right. Okay, great. So what's a better metaphor? Well, uh, I, you know, I had an epiphany one day and I'm like, this is, this reminds me of a sweep, a sweep crew, right? In, in rowing where each crew, each crew person, crew member has one oar, two hands on one oar. Okay. And, you know, if, if any one of those angles their oar in a different way, drops the oar, decides not to, to row quite as hard, you know, the boat's not going to get where you want it to go. Right. So you have to work as a team. It's imperative. All right. So everybody has two hands on one oar. Each Mm -hmm. person has two hands on one oar. And any slight deviation in the job that they're doing affects the trajectory, the speed, the success of the entire crew. That is correct. Okay. And that means that I can't become passive. I think that's your whole point. Well, that is exactly my whole point, right? So, you know, how if you've got everybody on a bus in a passive role, how do you how do you get a team that's aligned in vision and aligned in business strategy and aligned in culture? You don't because they're like, okay, well, whatever they want, you know, we'll just go along with it. And that's really inauthentic. Or they're, you know, or somebody saying, I'm just gonna keep doing it the way I've always been doing it. Okay. All right. I want to riff on this one for just a minute because mm-hmm. I know. I know this is a metaphor and it's easy to not make a big deal out of the metaphor. I actually think we should Mm -hmm. because we have this belief that as a leader, my job is to know the strategy, the future direction, to set the course and explain it to everybody else, Mm -hmm. which in its essence means as a leader, my job is to tell you what to do. Now, as soon as I say that, people go, no, 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 no. I'm not interested in command. But the truth is we all act in ways to control. Mm-hmm. I'm going to control the direction. I'm going to control the speed. I'm mm-hmm. going to control the roles that anybody has. I'm going to control by giving feedback. I'm going to mm-hmm. control by giving bonuses and rankings and ultimately control in the direction I have decided, which sounds uninspiring to steal from Stephen M. R. Covey. <laughs> yeah. So and I question. <laughs> and I think that's where you're getting at. So let me put this yeah. in your in your metaphor of we're part of a rowing crew mm-hmm. where everybody has two hands on their own oar and we're all contributing to where it is we're going. Right. Why does that become a magnet for talent? Your view. Because well, my view uh through my experience is that when we have that alignment and are going in the same direction, each of us is really saying the same thing to everyone in the company. Now we're going to use different words. You know, the message, it's imperative that the message, the intent gets out accurately, of course. Mm -hmm. 
But if each of the, let's say, six, six members of us that are on, on that crew, uh, that are on that executive team, if we all are truly, authentically aligned with the vision and aligned with the business strategy and understand that each of us is, not, is neither more nor less important than the other, mm. this is what people see. They see it down the entire food chain in your organization. They see it from the outside, right? This is not creating, you know, creating some warm and fuzzy, you know, 10, you know, here's the 10, 10 best companies in the country because they give people a lot of time off or they do this or they do that. That's not what it's about. I mean, that's a piece of it, but ultimately it's clearly, clearly being aligned in what we're doing and where we're going. Right. And, and, and believing in it. Yeah. So we, we then, you know, build a town strategy that, that supports that so that we are, you know, we are interviewing for people that are going to fit into this and so on and so on. Okay. So we're clear what it is we want and we're interviewing for it and we're retaining and so on. All right. In the beginning of your book, make a big deal about this notion of, you know, you interview lots of executive teams mm-hmm. and walk around the company and it's amazing how unaligned people are in what they think yeah. the company is trying to achieve. Right. I dare you to test that in your own organization. But one of the questions I thought was most unique that you ask mm-hmm. is, What's the most important function or most important area? Mm-hmm. Why do you ask that question? Why is that important? Well, <laughs> because uh, I asked this question, and this should hopefully illustrate it. I asked this question of a CEO and he said, well, if you, you know, talk to my head of sales, <laughs> he's going to say, well, sales is the most important, of course. I mean, that's you know, typically an answer you'll get. And if you talk to my uh, CTO, he's going to say, well, no, we built the product. We're the most important people in the organization. He says, and then if you ask my C- CFO, he's going to say, no, I'm more, most, more important, most important person because I'm handling the money. Yeah. I said, well, what is your answer, Mr. CEO? And he says, I actually don't believe that there's a most important function. And I you know, just clapped. I said, bravo, that's actually the, 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 the correct answer. Anytime somebody comes in on your executive team, Wanda, that feels like they're the most important person in the room, you know, where do you have to go? Yeah. Spiraling downward. Yeah. And, and, you know, what that does is that, you know, that, that question and a few other that I start with that I ask in discovery tells me how far in or out of alignment they are. Like, I mean, if, you know, the sales chief sales officer says, well, I'm the most important. Well, why is that? Why do you think that's the case? Right. I want to find out why, because until I can, you know, you're not, you're, this shouldn't be news to you, you know, until I can discover what's underneath and potentially maybe even what's, if I can find out what's sitting in a blind spot for them at that point, you know, my goal is to bring that out and start to work on that even in discovery before we even go to what's, what's, what's the next step in coaching and alignment going to look like for you? Right, right. I, I can't, I mean, I can't even answer that question until I'm through with discovery. Right, right. I can understand how that is. Yeah. I can also understand how this impacts the culture in the organization. If an area, a function, mm-hmm. or a person think that they're the most important mm-hmm. and everybody else has to spin around them, mm-hmm. okay, then that creates a culture 
to where I feel like I don't matter. I'm just here to follow right. orders. It's not a very inspiring place to be, and it's not a very joined up place to be. I'm tired of using the word collaborative, so a not very joined up place to be. All right. So let's say we understand we actually are all aligned on what it is we're trying mm-hmm. to achieve on our goals, on our mission, our purpose, those sorts of things, um, that we're speaking the same language, That and we now move to say, well, what's our talent strategy to support those Correct. goals? All right. So first off, what do you mean by talent strategy? Well, talent strategy is, I mean, you, your, your company cannot run without people, period. The right people in the right seats, right? right? The right butts in the right seats. And that is the first piece of your talent strategy. What is our goal mm-hmm. for our talent strategy? I mean, what do you, I, I can't answer the question. What do you want to get out of a talent strategy? Mm-hmm. Executive leadership team. Okay. You do, do you want to, do you want people to stay with you for, it depends on the department, right? I mean, you know, how long do you want your salespeople staying with you? Okay. How long do you want your software engineers staying with you? How long do you want your customer success? I had one person say, that's a, I would never ask that question. Well, why not? I've only heard somebody say that one time. I mean, that's foolish. Why would you not ask that question? Okay. I mean, you know, hoping is, hope is not an effective strategy. Well, and you're right. Sometimes you want turnover in a department in a Mm -hmm. reasonable period of time because that brings in fresh ideas and fresh skills and so on. But also, too fast of a turnover means you don't have stability and too slow of a turnover. It costs you a lot of money. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. So we have to decide what kind of goals we want out of our talent Mm -hmm. strategy. So, give me, Mm -hmm. can you give me an example of what an effective talent strategy actually looks like? Um, Well, the first thing is, Having having the recruiters, whether those are agency recruiters or internal recruiters, however you choose to do that, and it's different for every company, those people actually need to know what they're doing. <laughs> okay. You cannot right. build a talent strategy with people who call themselves recruiters but don't know the first thing about being a professional headhunter. Okay. Right? Everybody's a recruiter. And, you know, uh, uh, let me tell you a quick story. Um, I was at a, a friend's house a few years ago. Her daughter was over and her daughter said, oh, you know, we're in the same business. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> mm-hmm. What what um, what agency do you work for? She goes, oh, no, I work for such and such company. It was I think they're in metals and mining. I said, oh, so mm-hmm. you're a corporate recruiter. I said, no, no, we don't. We don't even remotely do the same thing. And she looked at me like a deer in headlights, like, what are you talking about? I said, well, let me ask you two questions. When... You getting or you are getting ready to work on a new job, okay, a new opening. Are you in there in the trenches doing a kickoff meeting, asking 40 or 50 questions of the stakeholders to determine then how you're going to write the position description or does somebody hand you a job spec and you start working on it? And it was the latter. So that's an order okay. filler. That's not a consultant to management, right? Okay. They're consultants to management. And agents of man and management. Okay. Okay. And then I said to her, okay, so now you're working on the, on the project. How do you go about finding people? And she's, well, you know, I go to LinkedIn first and listen, LinkedIn is a giant database, right? So it's, it's one of, one of the many tools that one can use when I was doing search. I mean, I use different tools, just not just LinkedIn. Relying on that is ridiculous. So, 
I said to her, um, how do you, well, I go to LinkedIn and you know, yada, yada. And I said, okay, how do you connect with people? <laughs> she said, well, I send in mails. And I said to her, and I quote, why don't you pick up the phone and call them? And she looked at me and she goes, well, how do I get their phone numbers? Right. That's not a professional recruiter. A professional recruiter would know how to do that. They would be trained how to do that. They would be trained how to actually communicate the way you and I are communicating, how to actually pick up the phone, call someone and either leave them a voicemail that will, you know, get a higher probability of engagement back or knowing what to say if they pick up the phone. Okay. People are afraid. We are, I mean, we are moving further and further into non-communication area, but you probably have that on your list to talk about. In <laughs> That's a whole other separate show. Not one we're going to do today. Show. Absolutely yeah. a whole different show. All right. So one of your notions is, so we have to have a goal, what we're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. be aligned, but we also have to have really good recruiting skills, yes. Yes. recruiting people who mm-hmm. understand how to connect with a broader base of folks, how mm-hmm. to entice them in, mm-hmm. how to write a job description in a way that's going to be appealing to the market mm-hmm. and that's consistent with what the stakeholders mm-hmm. are looking for, not just here's the same job spec we used 15 years ago, see if you can make it work. Yeah. That's exactly right. So without, you know, without, without a, a recruiting team, like I said, whether that's internal or agency, without people who really don't understand how to do, how to be an old fashioned headhunter. Yeah. Um, it, it's going to make, you're never going to be able to bring your talent strategy to fruition, right? Because okay. it's all about building relationships with people. It's not okay. about having a 15 minute conversation and then sending it off to the hiring manager. Nope, 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 nope. Right. It's about, you know, again, retention strategies, succession strategies, really talking to people about what their needs are. You can, you can do that before you, you know, ever introduce them to your hiring manager. So retention strategies, succession strategies. So you're thinking, thinking about not just of what kind of talent we're looking for, but how do we manage the talent through the life cycle in our business? Like how long do we want to keep them? What kind of development we're doing with them? Right. What kind of progression we're going to think That's that we right. have for them? you know, how they know where they're standing. It's like all of those pieces mm-hmm. of what happens to this individual when they come in this company. Mm-hmm. Did I get that straight? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not every, listen, not everybody wants to move into a leadership role, but that right. doesn't mean that they don't want employee development. Right. To be a better employee. And that may be, that may be learning how to be a better communicator. Right. And that's, so, part, of, that's part of a talent strategy, also right. effective communication. Right. Yeah, right. One of the things that I see as I'm talking, particularly with younger people thinking about their careers and the next step in their careers, Mm -hmm. is that they're very focused on how am I acquiring the skills and the experiences that are going to give me a credible long run in my career. Mm -hmm. And they're very keen about what am I learning and how am I growing? And I think, you know, we think about that as sending people to classes, but it is one of many tools for how you Mm -hmm. get people focused on what they're learning and growing. But I think it's hard today to entice young talent without having a development strategy, a development mm-hmm. suite in place. Mm-hmm. And you're echoing that that's exactly what people are looking for. That's exactly correct. Yeah. Okay. All right. So a talent strategy is going to say both what are we trying to achieve? What does it take to entice someone out in the market to come and join us? What's that market search look like? How do I recruit in a professional way? Mm-hmm. And what's the offer to the talent in terms of retention, mm-hmm. succession, and ultimately development? Mm-hmm. And all of those places need to be in place. Okay, I'm bought. And is that what it takes to make a talent-centric organization? 
Yeah, it takes a commitment to that. <laughs> and, you know, commitment to that in the long term, Wanda, because you, you this is not just, okay, let's, you know, let's spend three months or six months or, you know, depending on the size of the company, how long it might take, could be a year to to build this entire process. You know, let's let's just do this and then we're done. No, it's like like working on a marriage. You know, if you think that you can go work on it for three months and then think, oh, everything's going to be fine, that, you know, <laughs> that's not, again, not an effective strategy. So that doesn't mean that I need to be in front of my clients in perpetuity every single week or every single month. But once the initial project's over, you know, maybe nothing more than, you know, let's check in in a quarter, see where you are, mm-hmm. you know, um, maybe it's twice a year. I, I, you know, it just depends on the company. Right, right. You know, where are you struggling? This, the notion is to keep refreshing this and not let it be, I built a machine yep. and now the machine cranks yep. away. It's Correct. kind of constantly revisiting, is it fit mm-hmm. for purpose? What needs mm-hmm. to shift? What's mm-hmm. working? What's not working? Correct. And keeping that mindset focused on how are we attracting and keeping talent, I think Correct. is the, yeah. the answer to it. Mm-hmm. All right, Carol, this is a perfect place to take a break. My guest today is Carol Schutz. She's founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, which is a, and is a talent equity and leadership advisory expert. The book we're talking about is Powered by People, How Talent-Centric Organizations Master Recruitment, Retention, and Revenue, and How to Build an Organization Like That for Yourself. We'll be right back. When we come back, I want to talk about the whole notion of hiring and what it is we need to be thinking about as you're thinking about hiring somebody. We'll be right back. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. 
You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Carol Schultz. Um, The book we're talking about is Powered by People, How Talent-Centric Organizations Master Recruitment, Retention, and Revenue, and How You Can Build One Yourself. The whole focus up to this point has been this notion that to be a talent magnet, meaning a place where talent wants to come, you have got to focus on a modern day version and a professional version of what it looks like to recruit people, meaning what are they looking for, a proposition they want, as well as the entire employee life cycle, retention, development, uh, succession planning, and even planning for the notion that people will leave at some point. So the question is, how long do you want to, to, to keep them around? That strategy needs to fit with your business strategy in a way that you're sure that you're getting the talent you need in the ways that you need it and the timing that you need it. Mm-hmm. So um, there's much to say on all of that. And it is a long journey on its own. And Carol's a great resource on that one. I'm going to shift, though. And put this more in the context of the average manager out there trying to figure out how to make sure that they hire the right person. And it is actually one of my call-in guests or write-in guests a few months ago that asked this question, which says, how do I avoid getting the wrong person? So I want to give a data point. 50% of the time, in fact, 52% of the time, we hire the wrong person for the job. Mm -hmm. So the data goes. Mm-hmm. Meaning most of the time, if I'm choosing between two candidates, I'd actually do a better job flipping a coin than making my own decision. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> so, Carol, what are we missing in this interviewing process? <laughs> well, what, what we're missing is managers. I mean, clearly that tells me they've not built a talent-centric organization. So yes. assuming they don't have a talent-centric organization, what can they do? to, you know, keep their head above water, right? Yep. Um, so that they don't drown. You know, companies aren't, because they're not talent-centric, they're not aligned, they're not clearly teaching their managers how to interview. Or often, I mean, I, it, you know, for years, I'd have, had a, a buddy of mine who was a group vice president at Oracle, that's third line sales management. He'd say, God, I wish I could hire you. They won't let me bring in anybody from the outside and our internal recruiters are horrible. You know, I mean, you could fill an Oracle with any number of other companies. It's not yeah. just Oracle. I don't want to blame them, but this just happened to be something that somebody said to me there. And that's part of the problem is, is without getting, you know, going to an entire song and dance on why the whole search business is broken, which it is, is companies think all recruiters are horrible. I mean, most of them are, I believe, <laughs> uh, whether they're agency or internal. And is it the recruiter's fault? No, it's the fault of the people who are training them and training them how to work. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, how does that manager fix things? Uh, You know, that manager is either got to get their company to spend the money teaching them how to properly interview and how to, you know, know what they're looking for um, because there's really no easy. I mean, there's no one line solution I can give someone. Right. I mean, you know, right. you could read book after book after book. I mean, we, I call myself out in the book. You know, books aren't going to answer your question, as I say, <laughs> as I'm writing a book. <laughs> right. 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 Books are a tool to help you discover. Well, am I do? What am I doing that's working? What am I maybe doing that's not working? What do I need to consider doing differently? 
you know, and, and that's when you've got to go and start working with somebody on how do we fix this? Right. Right. I, I don't know if that, I mean, that may not be the answer you want, but it's really the best answer I can give. Right. Well, actually what I'm looking for, maybe you can't give me is some advice for mm-hmm. an average manager out there. Mm-hmm. Let's say they understand the kind of capabilities they okay. need. Yep. Kind of, can you give us some tips about how to interview in a yep. better way? Yeah. So the most important thing is that you must be committed to actually getting to know this person that you're interviewing, like work on a relationship. So if I were working on a search, my client would never see a candidate till I've had at least three conversations with them. Okay. Takes time to get to know someone. So, you know, if, if, if you're working in a situation, Mr. Manager, where you don't have the luxury of having somebody like me doing that for you, you've got to spend got to the do time it. doing that, right? And, and the first conversation is really nothing more or less than getting to know that person. You know, we're too interested in immediately finding out what their capabilities are and all this. Just spend time getting to know people because if you have an authentic interest in people, if you don't, this is not going to work. Mm-hmm. If you have mm-hmm. an authentic interest in people, people will open up and talk to you. Okay. I cannot tell you the numbers of times when I was doing search work where people would say, God, Carol, I've told you things I've never told a recruiter. And I quote, okay, this is not to pat myself on the back. It's to make a point that when you are authentically, truly interested in human beings, they get that. They feel it. And they will open up and talk to you. Not as in in order to manipulate information out of them, Wanda. Right, right. (laughs) But to really get to know them, right? That's an important distinction. Yeah. You know, I'm, if, I, it's not authentic if all I'm doing is asking questions to get to know that you to get to know them in order to, you know, disqualify them. Or to check the box that they've that's done right. X, Y, and Z. That's right. right. That's right. right. So that's, that's the first and most important thing is really, and it's hard. A lot of managers don't have a lot of time. Right. You know, which is why I think it's important to have a really great search staff. You know, if you've got that great talent strategy, you've got somebody who's been trained to have those conversations so that, you know, you as the manager don't get people till they maybe have three people for you to talk to. I've narrowed it down to three people. You're going to end up hiring one of them. Okay. So getting to know the real person, the personality, um, the kind of strengths and weaknesses of that personality, where they're at their best, where they're at Mm -hmm. their worst, what their aspirations are, those are the kind of things we're looking for in the getting to know. Yes. And, you know, if if you're smart, Mr. Manager or Ms. Manager is going to build a, let's call it a competency model. Mm-hmm. I used to do that for my clients where now we have a position description and we can build a competency model based on that. So what are all the competencies that we're looking for? Mm-hmm. And what is the level of importance, low, medium or high for them to do the job effectively? Mm-hmm. And as we interview for each competency, where does the person fall in one to five, right. lowest to highest, right? What this that does is now give me as the manager or any of the other people I have interviewing that person an objective way to look at somebody. We're not keeping right. it in our head. It's not emotional. We don't get attached to it. We have to yeah. look at it in an objective way. There is no panacea candidate out there. You know, nobody's going to have a 12 out of 10, probably not. So we have to decide what are those need to haves and what are the nice to haves, right? So the high important things would be our need to haves. 
Mm-hmm. The low important things would be nice to have. And then the medium, we can kind of figure that out along the, along the way. Mm-hmm. Like how important is that to do the job? And, you know, to your point, 52, about 52% of, you know, are, are not great hires. Um, but, you know, also north of 50% of people leave a job in the first 18 months for reasons having nothing to do with the skills and abilities. So what does that leave? Wow. Culture? So what, so what does that tell you? It tells you, you sure as sure as hell better sit down and get to know that person you're going to be working with or for, or who's going to be working for you. It's, it is so well worth investing the time because the money lost on the backside of that is exponentially higher than your time up front. It really is. I've said to many clients, I'm not a recruiter or not interested in doing this either. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you do it. Um, but I have said to many clients, particularly on their diversity strategy, you know, do you realize how much you're costing your bottom line just by not being able to keep this candidate a year longer, two years longer? That's right. And have you added up the numbers of mm-hmm. whatever behaviors out there mm-hmm. are causing the problem? Yep. And it should scare absolutely any manager yep. if you stop built, to think about it. I, yeah. I built a spreadsheet years ago that you can actually plug the numbers into. To figure that out. We're, and we're talking not just hard costs. We're talking soft and opportunity costs. Right. Those right. mostly come in, as, you know, in sales, opportunity right. costs, right? Lost right. deals when you've got somebody who turns over. It's right. in the millions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't take much change. It's a big slap to- in the face. <laughs> <laughs> to have a big impact on that bottom line there. Yep. All right. So I like this notion of competency model, but you're not talking about the classic competency model that I have seen from HR in terms of leadership competency. You're talking about a job competency model. What are well, the skills and capabilities yeah. I need in this particular role? And that might include some leadership capabilities. It does, if it's a leader. Right. <laughs> the competency is different for every role. You have to, right. It's not like you can build a competency model and use it for every job. You cannot do that. Right. So I like that one that it's tailored for each job and that we have importance ratings and then we're going to rate each person on each of those. And I come out with a score at the end. What strikes me about that one is it does get rid of a little bit of bias, perhaps Mm -hmm. if you're smart in the way you ask questions, but it also has a way of comparing across interviewers. Correct. That's great that you, that you realize that because that is, that is so critical Wanda that so and, you know, let's say I'm interviewing somebody, you're interviewing somebody, I give them a five on, you know, competency X, Y, Z, and you give them a two. Now we can go back and go, okay, which one of us is, how did this happen? Is yeah. it that one of us doesn't understand the competency effectively? That's probably what it is. Yeah, One of us could- just doesn't get the competency. Right. All right. Or it could be we ask different questions, or it could be we interpreted answers differently, Correct. or it could be we got different examples. Yeah. No. I'm a fan of behavioral interviewing. Mm-hmm. Are you as well? Is that one of the skills that you use? Uh, you know, sometimes. I mean, okay. you know, everybody loves behavioral-based interviewing. And I think it's, it's really effective. You know, tell me about a time when, you know, or how, you know, it, this is the situation. How would you go in and handle it? These are not ineffective questions. They're okay. a great task, but I don't think it should be exclusively that right. way. I mean, because you know, I don't really just sit there and blow sunshine up your skirt. <laughs> okay. So what else do I do besides the behavioral interviews? I get to know the person. I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, what else is going to help me get a real sense of this person's competencies? 
needs in each of these areas? That well, uh, you know, the the final thing, and this really comes down to once you've made some decisions or you're getting close with maybe two or three people, maybe you've got it down to two and you know you want to make an offer to one of the two and gosh, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of like this, right? Well, which one do I want to, you know, which one, which one is, one of them is not really tipping the scales in either direction. Um, and that's where you need to go to blind, to blind reference checking. Right. Okay. Um, in fact, I'm just in the process of writing an article about this right now, how HR would probably will be up in arms, but how you handle it is imperative. I mean, it's literally okay. critical, right? Okay. You cannot breach anyone's confidentiality. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Uh, by the way, I'm calling you on behalf of Sunsa, who's interviewing with us. You can't say that to them. Right. Okay. There are ways to get somebody to talk to you without breaching confidentiality. Okay. Hi, you know, my name's so-and-so from such and such a company where, you know, I'm hoping you'll have a conversation with me. Um I am, uh, we're looking for this type of a role and I'm considering reaching out to somebody who you used to work for. Okay. Would you be willing to have an off the record conversation with me? Right. Okay. Skill, nuance in the language, but also a really important. Very, 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 very important how you phrase it, the actual words you use. You cannot break confidentiality. I cannot say that enough. Right. Right. Somebody could get fired from a job. Yeah. And and the reality is HR would get up in arms in it because they're like, well, they didn't give us, you know what? It goes on every day. Yeah. HR's not going to stop it. So if you're going to do it, do it the right way. Right. Right. Well, I know leaders who say, I want my talent to be um, kind of aware of where they stand in the marketplace. I mm-hmm. want others to want them. And I want to make sure I'm doing the right stuff to keep them, by the way. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's a good sign that other people want your talent, mm-hmm. as opposed to the opposite of that one. Okay. I'm going to ask a very personal question. You know, one of the things is I spend time to get to know people. I think mm-hmm. I have a good sense of them. I think I have a good read for them but I can still get fooled. You know, and I've asked the right questions mm-hmm. and other people have asked the right questions. We think, we've looked at the competencies, mm-hmm. you know, we think we've done all the right checks and we got a sense of this person and we still can get fooled. Correct. Have you had that happen? Everyone what? has had that happen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, y- you know, my goal for companies is to see that they are north of 90%. Okay. Let's call them good hires, effective okay. hires, which is a whole lot higher than the 52%. That's right. <laughs> okay. That's your goal is somewhere north of 90% hires, okay. that, you know, that you're not making fewer than 10% mistakes. Okay. Human beings have a way, you know, I mean, you maybe hire a sociopath and they convince you and, you know, they convince you of anything and you believe it. Yeah. You can, you can also do, there are certain psychometric profiles. There's a couple mm-hmm. that, that uh, we use in, in the leadership work that I do um, that my partner and I really like. Um, there's a, thousands of them out there. You got to find the one that's best for you. Like I said, there's a couple mm-hmm. that we really like, but that can only help you. I mean, it's, it's a tool to say, okay, we've got it narrowed down to two people. I think I really like these people. I'm going to do the blind reference checking. I'm going to do the regular, you know, reference checking. Um, but gosh, let's have them, let's have them do this. And it's really good to tell people in advance you're going to do that. Yeah, right, right. 
you're not going to tell me you're going to do blind reference checking because right. that would be yeah, silly. Right. But, you can't say that. Yeah. But, you know, but you can say, you know, we one of the common things we often do is is have you take a, a profiling test. And, and it's really important, Wanda, to, to explain to people this is not to to exclude you from being hired. You know, the, we've all heard the devil, you know. Yeah. Right. It is better to know as much about someone to know, okay, is this a weakness that we're okay dealing with? Right. You know, if if you've got somebody who, who all you find out about is that they're a terrible communicator, you know, run, run fast in the other direction, unless you want to really invest and they're willing to invest with you in, in, in making those changes. Just right. Or you don't need to communicate for some unknown reason. I suppose that is possibility. Okay. Right. (laughs) All right. Okay, so we're going to get it wrong sometimes. If we get it wrong, you know, I get this asked, that's all the question. Somebody takes a job and they realize they made a mistake in taking Mm -hmm. the job. How fast do you leave a job? How fast do I say to somebody, this is not working out, this was a bad choice? I mean, there's this notion it's two years, but... No, it could be much faster than that. Um, it, 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 It Sometimes it takes people six months to realize it. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the last searches I did, I placed, uh, I placed somebody into a startup and during the process, the manager she was reporting to was dismissed mm-hmm. and they moved somebody else into the role who is a extraordinarily different personality and yeah. not somebody I personally cared about, cared for. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I managed that damage control. Why they never told me they were thinking about dismissing this individual made my job all that much harder. Right. But uh, uh, 30 days after the individual, this, this, this candidate started, she called me literally crying. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give you any more. You know, I don't need Got to it. waste time with all the rest. Yeah. I did what I could to rescue this. And I worked with somebody internally about that. Um. She said, I'll give it another try. And I don't even know if it went a week. She called me back and said, this is not going to work. I've got to go. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, that was just over 30 days. Right. <laughs> just right at the 30-day mark. You know, I've, I've had conversations with people, you know, six months in, salesmen. I don't know. Years ago, buddy of mine. I don't know, Carol. I, I just, you know, I've been busting my butt here. And I just have not made any money yet. And blah, blah, blah. He says, but I'm committed to giving it a year. Well, P.S. He got a he got north of a three hundred thousand dollar commission check his first year. It it happened after between the time I spoke to him at six months and the time he hit twelve. That's right. Right. Okay. Right. So it depends on the role. Now mm-hmm. he also wasn't working for a manager that was horrible. That he just you know where the it was not it a good cultural sure. fit. All right. Right. So right. you know my advice is if if you've got a culture issue with that manager, you either fix it or get out. Okay. Because if it cannot be fixed, it ain't going to get any better. Okay. It's just not. Well, I say life is too short. Yeah. That you're not going to be a great performer if you're sitting mm-hmm. there being miserable. Right. And I'm also going to say to a manager, if you can't effectively work to coach and develop this person that you now brought in, mm-hmm. then that ain't going to work either. So, mm-hmm. you know, a hard conversation needs to have and probably better to make a fast change than to take mm-hmm. three years to go about making that change. Right. And that's where the culture of feedback comes in. 
It's a big, right. important. Absolutely a big one. All right. Uh, one, you've got three minutes to answer this question, Carol, which is terribly unfair. Any advice for people who are working with a recruiter? So suppose I was looking for a new job and I come to you. What's your three minutes worth of advice? Talk to that recruiter about how they work, right? 80% of agency recruiters, if we're talking agency, are contingent, 20% retained. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, are, are, will you get a higher percentage of better retained recruiters? Yes, but it's not 100%, not even, you know, mm-hmm. I've, had, I've had executives tell me, I'm never going to work with such and such global re, you know, retained company ever again because, because that recruiter never once asked me, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So find out from that recruiter. Are they actually interested in what you want? Or do they just, are they just looking to check some boxes to see if you're a fit? Okay. For their client. That's okay. really uber important. Um, you know, are they just, you know, what's the relationship they have? Are they working on contingency? Or are they working on retainer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Traditionally okay. in a retained model, you know, you're, you're a consultant to management. Right. Right. Where is it where, you know, the contingent recruiters are more agents of management. They're order fillers. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And it's okay. not necessarily their fault that it's that way. It's companies that, you know, right? That's how it's They're set thinking, up. Yeah. They don't want to spend the money. Well, right. gosh, if I called you, Mr. Mr. VP of sales and said, hey, I got a great opportunity for you, blah, blah, blah. This is what it is. And you're like, God, this sounds fantastic. Um, what's the pay? Well, here's the deal. It's actually there is no salary. <laughs> yeah. You're, you know, you'll get paid if and when, if and when, those are really important words, you complete certain projects. And then you'll mm-hmm. go back to zero and then you'll have another project. Are you still interested in interviewing for the job? Everybody, one person ever has said to me, no, I'm not no. still interested in the job. <laughs> so why are you partnering with a recruiter who's like, who's do, doing not, the same do way. you not see that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very hypocritical. It's just a terrible yeah. model. And, and it's, and it's like, you know, I can't really even blame the companies because they've had such terrible experiences working with, right. you know, somebody had a. Great. Great. So, yeah. Okay. All right. So whether the recruiter is um, retained recruiter or whether the contingent Mm -hmm. is going to make a difference. Any other piece of advice? Um, Yeah. If you're working with an internal recruiter, sometimes they are overwhelmed with jobs, uh, job openings, and they are not. I I mean, I have heard people bitch and moan about this for years. They never got back to me. It's been weeks. And then they and then eventually get back to me, you know, five weeks later thinking I would actually still be interested. Right. Just so, keep in touch with people. It's really not that hard. Keep in touch. Same, All s- right. Send them a note. Yeah. So you want to find this out from the recruiter. How are you going to stay in communication with me? And what's that going to look like? And am I going to have to be hounding you because it's been two weeks and I haven't gotten an answer out of you? Okay. Go- All good questions. All good things to know. Everybody has a, has a debate constantly about what do I do and how do I do it? All right. My guest today, Carol Schultz with Vertical. Elevation. The book is called Powered by People, How Talented-Centric Organizations Master Recruitment, Retention, and Revenue. Um, And you can find out more at verticalelevation.com. Carol, thanks for being a guest today. What a great conversation. Pleasure to be with you. All right. Join us next week for more wisdom and getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.